prayed. I'd like for you to take the word of God with me, and we're going to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10, and when you find yourself there, we'll stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be looking at verses 3, 4, and 5 today. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3, 4, and 5, and uh, we'll read these verses out loud together. Give you a second to turn there. Should give you more advance notice, right? I'll tell you this much. 2 Corinthians comes right after the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's in the New Testament. It's toward the beginning of the New Testament, right after the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. All right, verse 3 together out loud. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word today. Thank you for it. I do ask that you would help us to have clear direction in our heart from the Holy Spirit, from your spirit, God, that we would know that you have visited with us. You have met with us. I pray that you would help us to take your word and, uh, Lord, not just put it into our, our heart, but that we would meditate and obey your word. I do ask that you bless all that is said and done in this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Today, I'm going to be finishing our series on standing for truth, and we've looked at not being ashamed of the gospel. We looked at speaking the truth in love uh, we, out of Ephesians 4.15. We looked at overcoming fear in 2 Timothy 1.7. We looked at standing firm in persecution out of second, or I'm sorry, 1 Peter 5.1-11. And today, our final sermon covering the battle for truth. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of 2 Corinthians to address false teachers. These uh, uh, false teachers had infiltrated the church at Corinth. And they were leading some of those church members astray. That happens in churches everywhere. False teachers, whether it's the pastor, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, whether it's just somebody in the congregation. You might be saying, well, pastor, what's the big deal, you know? What's the big deal? Why do you not allow people to just come in here and, and uh, not join, but they, they should be able to just teach a Sunday school class? Well, that's just not what we're going to do at Souls Harbor. We expect people to have the same doctrine. Okay, We don't just let anybody come up here and preach. Not that we're being unkind, but that's, that's to protect all of us. Okay? Um, I know there's some people that like to come at times. They won't make any commitment to this church, but they want to come in and they want to hand out, you know, uh, things about the rapture or why, you know, whatever it is, you know. And eschatology, and that's a kind of a hot topic, hot button issue. You know, people are, you know, ah, the rapture, is it pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, whatever. We had somebody handing out things um, maybe a year and a half ago. And, uh, and I said, hey, because somebody said, hey, maybe you should talk to the pastor about doing that. I said, hey, we love you, but you can't hand that out here because that goes against our doctrine that we've agreed with. 
And you know what? We have to all be humble enough to realize we may not have it 100% correct. In fact, I don't believe that anybody knows, could know that they have everything 100% correct. God allows there to be some gray area, even though there are disagreements between churches and, and Christians on certain issues. There might be some, um, you know, differences, I should say. Maybe not disagreements, differences. We'll know when we get to heaven. Everything will be clear. And we'll be in 100% agreement because we will know. And the Lord is, uh, you know, we'll be in the, his presence. But that's okay if somebody has a differing view on something doctrinally. But that's not for our church. That's for their church. And, um, but when we allow false teaching in and we have every wind of doctrine going on, guess what? You're going to have a lot, of, a lot of fighting and a lot of uh, disunity. And God doesn't want a church to be disunified. And so Paul is writing to these members and saying uh, that you need to stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Stand firm for the truth of the gospel. Verse number three. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. There is a serious battle that is taking place and it is in the spiritual realm. We see it in the physical realm, but it takes place primarily in a spiritual way. There is a war on the truth today. There is a war on the truth today. And I'm not just saying a war on truth. I'm saying there's a war on the truth. This word, this truth, is objective meaning it is true for you, it is true for me, it is true for everyone, whether they are a Christian or not. This word is truth. Jesus said it. If you have an issue with that, take it up with him. He said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word, speaking to his father, praying to his father, thy word is truth. And so there's a war on the truth because the devil is fighting this battle. There's a battlefield. And uh, by the way, the battlefield for the truth is fought in our soul. It's out there. Of course, we know there's philosophies and views and um, there's all kinds of teaching. There's all kinds of beliefs. But really the battlefield, as far as you and I are concerned, each of us as individuals, is really it's going on in our soul. Our soul is made up of the mind, our, where we process things, how we think. Our um, will is part of our soul, as well as an emotional component. Some of us, many times, will make emotional decisions when we shouldn't be. Most decisions need to be made um, using our discernment, discretion, reasoning, and so on. But God did give us emotions for a reason. He wants us to have emotion. But there is a battle going on in our soul. And our soul is uh, where we process truth, um, where we do our thinking and reasoning. Our soul is where we make decisions, hopefully based on what we are believing to be right and not what we believe to be wrong. Uh, the decisions that we make, our choices, are directly tied back to our soul, or could I just say our inner man, 
uh, our heart. And many times in the Bible when they use the word, when, when God, when we see the word heart in the word, it's not necessarily talking about the emotional component, it's talking about our, our mind, our soul, if you will. But more, more or less our mind, our inner man. Proverbs 27, 3, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Luke 6, 45, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. If you think about that treasure, the treasure that's in our heart, that's the thoughts and the, the reasoning and the, the decisions, the treasure, what is in there, what is being dwelt on, what is being focused on. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. You ever gotten yourself into trouble with your mouth? Yeah. Where'd that come from? It came from your soul. That is what you, you know, how we, and some people are, find it easier to keep that guard up than some people just, you know, they just let, you know, just let everyone know what they're thinking, right? Got to be careful. Proverbs 4.23, the Bible says, keep thy heart, guard your heart, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward or perverse mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet. What does that mean? Think before you leap, all right? Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. But he starts with, keep thy heart with all diligence. So God... We have this innate ability to know the right and wrong because God put that in us. That is a gift from God to all people. Uh, common grace. God has not just given this to the believer. God has put into the heart of every person an understanding of morality. It is a consciousness or awareness of his expectations. We have that innate understanding of morality because God put it there. And he says, uh, Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 31, 33, in your notes you have this, he's speaking to the, the people of Israel. God gave this to the people of Israel. He said, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. But you know what? This is not just for the Jewish people because Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 verse 14 for when the Gentiles, by the way, we could probably all put our hands up on that one. We're part of that group. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, so they weren't given the law of Moses directly from, you know, like the Jews, the Israelites had the law. They had the, the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments. But they weren't given that. They didn't have it. But for when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature means this is innate this is part of who they are it came naturally they do by nature the things contained in the law meaning that they actually have an understanding of god's law built into them 
Having not the law, they are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So what he's saying, Paul is saying that the Gentiles, everybody has the moral law of God written into their conscience. It's part of who you are. Um, Gill says, though the Gentiles had not the law in form, written on tables or in a book, yet they had the sum and substance of it in their minds. Barnes says, Thy, uh, I'm sorry, the word hearts here denotes the mind itself. They had knowledge of it, and that the knowledge uh, was deeply engraved on their minds. Now, people can deny it all they want. They can decide that God doesn't exist. And that morality is some societal or social construct. Or that it is religious guilt. If we just get rid of all the religious people, then we'll be free from, from that, right? Well, that doesn't change the fact that God's law is written on their hearts. He's written written his law on our hearts. That is a gift from God. It really is. Um, in our woke PC culture, there are plenty of highly educated people who are straight up fools. It's because they've rejected God's objective law of morality. See, they're a walking contradiction. They know what's right, and they're denying that they know what's right. We know in our conscience that there are two genders, male and female. Yet today, science says that there are many different genders. I've seen the number 105. I'm sure it's more than that now. But there are some people who have one, none, or several. Who knows? And God loves each and every one of those people. Jesus died for them too. Because if it weren't for God's grace, where would we be? We're all in the same boat. We really are. We're all in the same boat. Um, we know in our conscience that males should not be marrying males and females should not be marrying females. Anything else is a perversion. Yet, of course, we know that basic logic, logical view of reality is, is uh, forgotten today. Uh, we know in our conscience that adults should not be romantically involved with children. Now, this is the next step. You might be saying, wow, this is really extreme. This is, uh, Pastor, this is, that's not even going to happen. No, it will, and it is. See, this is a progression towards moral depravity. All the while, people have God's moral law in their hearts. See, they are, their, their conscience is being seared. They are actively searing their conscience by taking these steps towards depravity. They're moving away from God's way, and they, they're moving towards depravity and perversion. And so, you know, it started a number of years ago with, uh, you know, well, 
It started a number of years ago with Adam and Eve. We'll start there, okay? But, but if you watch even our society, what has gone on in our culture, not that long ago, the, the home was whole for most, uh, in most cases. Uh, the, uh, the home had a mom and a dad and children and all of those things that, you know, God put in his design. God instituted the home. He created them male and female. And he said, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Okay? Very basic. You go back to the first three chapters of Genesis. It's all there. Um, But over the last hundred years, we have seen a breakdown in the home. We have seen divorce, the divorce rate go through the roof, and the natural progression towards depravity gave way towards homosexual marriage and transgenderism. We've seen this in the last 10 years, just how this stuff has exploded. The next progression, next step in this progression is um, adults and minors being involved romantically. That is the next step. And I'm not saying this with the kids up here. We would not talk about these things, but I'm telling you, you need to understand we should not be um, desensitized and thinking, oh, you know, that's just how things are. It is a perversion of God's way because it goes against truth okay um we know in our conscience that an unborn baby should be protected the safest place for that unborn baby should be that baby's mother's womb but a woman's right to choose has become more important than God's creation life. Okay, we know in our conscience that some of the excuses that we make, now I'm going to warn you, this is where the rubber is going to meet the road just a little bit here, okay? We know in our conscience that some of the choices that we make and some of the excuses that we make for our own choices, the excuses are nothing more than a lie. We know the truth. We, we, we do all kinds of things and then we excuse them. We do all kinds of things and we say, well, we're not, I'm not as bad as that person over there. Well, well, you know what? I'm justified in doing this because, and we give all of our reasons, but those excuses are nothing more than a lie covered by a thin skin of a reason. Why don't we just get uh, real Why don't we just get honest with ourselves and with God and with others and start living the way that God wants us to live, to walk in truth and not in the perversion of our world and thinking that we can do whatever we want to do and live however we want to live. And uh, uh, by the way, if we're not getting victory over our sin and our addictions, it's because we're making excuses. We're doing exactly what I'm talking about. It's because of our pride. We don't want to call sin, sin anymore. We have pastors that won't call sin, sin. Why? 
partly because they're involved with those same things that they should be preaching on and dealing with. Uh, we don't want ourselves, we don't want to admit that we have a problem or that we need help. Pride is keeping us from having revival in this country. We look at the world and we say, hey, I'm not as bad as that. But that's not really saying much, to be honest. The world should not be our benchmark. God's word, the truth, should be our standard. This is the standard, okay? Now, this is going to take some spiritual growth on our part. Because many times, we as Christians, we start... Well, we start living a moral life, and we start living the right way, and we're not doing it for the right reason, and that leads towards uh, hypocrisy and pharisaicalism, if that's a word. I've heard it used by a preacher. It sounds like a good word, right? We become Pharisees. We become self-righteous. We become all of these things that we should not become because the pendulum, many times, it'll swing the other way. We need to be smack dab right in the middle of God's will and saying, I'm going to do what's right because it's right and because I want to please God. I don't care what anyone else thinks, but because I want to be pleasing to the Lord and have the right relationship with him, we're going to do what's right. I think what Joshua said, Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what they're doing out there. It doesn't matter. They're going to get worse. I guarantee it. They will get worse. Evil, wicked men, all of that is going to get worse. It's promised to us. But we cannot use the world as our standard. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, shouldn't that be our rallying cry for righteousness and truth in our world, in our churches? As for me and my house, I can't do anything necessarily about all of that. I mean, I'm invested in Milwaukee like Dr. King here, and I think we should be. We're, we're called to go out into the world and preach the gospel and, and make an impact, be salt and light. But I'm telling you, there comes a point where we can only do so much. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So the battle for truth is a spiritual battle. And Paul gives us a powerful reminder of the weapons that we have at our disposal to wage a spiritual battle. Verse number three, we see the nature of our warfare. We're walking in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. When we got saved, our physical needs and weaknesses did not go away. Did you know that? We still have physical needs. I still need to eat. I still need to sleep. I'm still a human being with a, a body that uh, God has made to be, uh, that has some needs that need to be fulfilled. Um, and on top of that, we have the flesh, uh, the negative con. Uh, Understanding of the flesh, meaning we're under a sin curse. We are, uh, we are prone to do things. We are, we are led astray at times. It's not an excuse, but it's a reality. Okay? When we got saved, those things did not go away. We still walk in our flesh. We still live in our flesh. We have a body. But don't get the idea that when you got saved, uh, you just somehow moved to some other planet somewhere and, uh, and everything goes away, all the problems go away. They don't, because that's part of our spiritual 
uh, conquest. You know, we're, we're fighting this spiritual battle. God has allowed us to do this, but he's given us the tools to fight the war. He's given to us his word. He's given to us his spirit. He's given to us a church. He's given to us prayer. He's given to us all kinds of battle uh, tools and weapons to fight the war. Uh, some people think that, you know, if I'm going to uh, live for the Lord, then my problems will go away. They think that Christians don't have any issues. They, don't think, they think that, uh, you know, committed Christians don't have problems. They don't struggle to find the answers and the truth at times. Every godly uh, woman or godly man will struggle to find the answers at times will struggle to find the solution to some problems. But praise God, we have his word. Praise God, we have the spirit of truth. Praise God, we have all of these resources. But you have to use the resources to make the right decisions. So God has provided plenty of evidence of the weaknesses of his servants. You think about Moses. He had a temper. Um, David, we know what he did. Solomon, Samson, Peter, Jonah, Abraham, Paul... All of us have problems. And all of our problems in the flesh have a spiritual component. It is when we get victory in the spiritual part of the problem that we will have power over the flesh. If we want victory, let's say, let's just say something simple. Victory with our health or our weight. Then we need to focus in on the spiritual part of that problem. You might say, well, what in the world does that have to do with anything spiritual? There is a spiritual component to every fleshly problem that we encounter. Mark it down. There is a spiritual component to every problem that we encounter. And as you grow spiritually, you'll find that to be true. And you'll see it over and over again. The problem is manifest or seen in the flesh. You see the problem in the flesh many times. But the problem starts below the surface. There is a spiritual component, whether it is laziness or gluttony or ultimately uh, the spiritual problem that everybody has that we live in a sin-cursed body. But let's just say the health issues or the weight issues that many people uh, struggle with have that spiritual component. And once we deal with the spiritual component, then we'll have victory in the physical realm. Many times when we see someone who is living a sinful lifestyle, we are seeing the physical manifestation of a spiritual problem. When we see someone's bad behavior, we are seeing the part of the problem that we can see. It is the symptom. The spiritual component is the part of the problem that lies beneath the surface. In essence, it is the root of the problem. When you deal with the root, you deal with the whole problem. Some of you know that you're going to be pulling some weeds out of the ground in a little while. We enjoy those tulips. I saw, them. I saw some tulips here this morning. Beautiful. I like the flowers. I like the product, the produce, all of those things that we enjoy, the corn, the um, cucumbers. Eh. I was going to say cucumbers because that's what I think when a garden, but I, 
you know, that's okay. I don't enjoy those as much. I'll eat them. But I enjoy the tomatoes. I enjoy the carrots. I enjoy uh, the pickles. Okay. Uh, cu cucumber's not quite there yet, you know. Needs some time. But I enjoy all of those things. But in order to get there, you have to deal with some other issues along the way. Okay, uh, but when we deal with the root, when we pull the, the root out of the ground, see, we, we see the weed uh, there, but uh, that's just the manifestation of a deeper problem. We got to deal with the root, because if you know, like I know, when I was a kid, you've experienced this. You were told to go pull the weeds out of the garden, and you just got the top part. Guess what happened the next day? Or the next week, within a few days, it all came back, didn't it? Because we didn't deal with the problem. We, we dealt with a symptom. So our warfare is not physical, but spiritual. You can't fight a spiritual war in the flesh. See, the world throws all kinds of uh, things at the problem. They throw money at the problems. Well, let's just, let's just give them more money at the, the school. You know, education will, will solve this problem. People are just not educated enough. Our society is educated enough. How is it that we have more people with degrees and accolades and years and years of education, yet we got so many more problems than we've ever had before? Because education is not the answer. I'm not against education, by the way. But if you take a man who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and educate him, what have you done? <laughs> you've just made him more dangerous because he becomes a clever devil. He becomes better at doing something that's not right. You take all of these people off the street that are causing all kinds of havoc in our world. They are, they are uh, you know, committing uh, heinous crimes and praise God that they are put away somewhere where they can't hurt anybody. But the way our world works in our city they're out within a few days, and they're back on the streets doing all kinds of bad things. But while they're in prison uh, or jail, we look at it as uh, some kind of reformation, like somehow they're going to stop doing all the bad things by educating them, by counseling with them. And maybe there's a little bit of improvement. Maybe there's a little bit of understanding. You know, people go through the school of hard knocks sometimes. They learn, maybe I shouldn't do all those things because it's not really fun to be in prison or jail. And uh, maybe if I stop doing that, then I won't end up back here. But I'm telling you, until we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not going to solve the problem. Education is not the answer. Legislation is not the answer. There's an old story about a mother who told her four-year-old to sit down. He was not going to sit down. She said, son, I said sit down. He wouldn't sit down. She, she finally took him by the shoulders and put him in a chair and said, I said sit down. You ever done that with your kids? Um, he sat there for a while and he said, I can just imagine you sitting because his mom forced him to sit down, and he probably had his arms crossed, and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. <laughs> See, legislation is not the answer. Legislation can only restrain evil. It cannot make people good, because it doesn't deal with the moral component. Uh, number three, environment is not the answer. Do you think that if you uh, maybe get into a better environment, it's going to change your thought life? It's going to change some things? I, you know, 
I, I understand that, you know, being away from those bad influences does help. There's somebody that uh, attended our church for a while, went through some hard things, hard times. They now live outside of the city of ways. And I said, we went and visited yesterday. I said, you know what, praise God. You know, I know it's boring, and I know that uh, there's not a lot of things going on out here, but that is a blessing because you're not around some of those influences. And take this as a gift from God, putting you out here. But overall, you can, you can take uh, somebody out of their environment but the problem, the root of that problem is still there. See, you just dealt with the physical manifestations. Uh, some time ago, I heard a story about uh, somebody who went to a monastery. <laughs> they, uh, they thought that if they uh, could get off into this monastery, that somehow they could be holy. Um, I heard about this man who went to this monastery, and this monastery had a regimen, the discipline of silence. Couldn't say anything. And um, some of you say, I wouldn't make, make it five minutes in that place. They could only say two words a year. And this man went to, you know, he, he went a whole year, and after a whole year of being in the monastery, he said, Bed hard. Okay, well, you know, they asked him, what do you want to say? He said, bed hard. Okay, thank you, go back. He came back the second year and he said, well, they said to him, well, you're going to get two more words. What do you want to say? And he said, food bad. He said, all right, go back. He came back the third year and he said, uh, the man said to him, to, to the man in the monastery, they said, you got two more words. What would you like to say? He said, I quit. And he said, well, you might as well quit. All you've done is complain for three years. Well, you could go into a better environment. It might help you for a little while, but ultimately our problem is on the inside. It's the heart. The heart. Our enemies, our spiritual enemies. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We see the power of our weapons. Our weapons are not of the flesh. They're divinely empowered. See, we walk in the flesh, but we cannot fight this war in our flesh. We cannot fight the war in the flesh. Because our flesh is weak. God doesn't tell us to try harder. Because that would be futile. Though we live in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. Our weapons have divine power to demolish these strongholds of our life. And all of us have them. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you don't have problems. I have problems. You have problems. We all have problems. In fact, we'll just say it. We have a sin problem. Okay? Now, praise God for salvation. Jesus died on the cross to save us from the penalty of our sin. And if you've not been saved by the grace of God, come to Jesus and receive forgiveness. That's the first step. And he will give you a home in heaven. He's given, he'll give you eternal life, forgiveness, all of those wonderful things that only God can do for you. But Jesus also can give us victory and salvation over the power of our sin. 
And we need that because even as a believer, as a Christian, we still have the flesh. We still have the manifestation of our old nature. Okay? Praise God. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. We have a new nature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become or becoming new. It's a process, sanctification. Okay? But that's God giving us power over or, or salvation over the power of sin. Someday we'll have salvation from the presence of sin. So praise God for that. But in the meantime, Paul says in verse number four, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. See, it's God who gives us power. To the pulling down of strongholds, of the spiritual things in our life that are entrenched, that have taken root in our life. The strongholds. And probably for every one of us, it's a different variation of something. You know what your strongholds are, okay? Casting down imaginations. We see the goal of the warfare. This is the goal. This should be the outcome of submitting to God and finding victory in Jesus. And uh, when you have victory in Jesus, you can say, victory is mine through the power of God. But he says, here's the outcome, the goal of our warfare. The goal of our warfare is to bring every thought into captivity. Casting down imaginations. See, the world is filled with lies. The world is filled with deception. The world is bent against the truth of God's word. The system is set up for us to fall and to be deceived, and to be drawn away from that which is truth. But the world is filled with lies and deception. The devil uses falsehoods and manipulation to try to deceive us. And sadly, he is often successful because many Christians are not aware that they're in a spiritual battle. And they are not equipped for the spiritual battle. Even though Paul talks a lot about this, if you go to Ephesians 6 and other places, we we hear a lot about spiritual warfare. But he says, this is the goal. If you will use the spiritual weapons of God, you have God's word. You know, you should every morning just get up and say, thank you, God, for your word. I mean, you have a spiritual weapon. You have prayer. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Um, and in, when we, when we uh, are empowered by God to pull down these strongholds in our life, the goal is that we will see in our life casting down of imaginations. Imaginations refer to all the plans of the wicked one. All the plans of the wicked world. The various systems of false philosophy and reasoning. The various systems of of the false teachings out there. These philosophies are so entrenched that they might be called the stronghold of the enemies of God. And he says that we can see these things cast down. And it's only through the power of God. Then we see here, 
He says, not only casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Every exalted opinion. We got lots of people that have opinions out there, don't we? By the way, they want to coexist with everyone except for Bible-believing Christians. And they are opposed to the knowledge of God. They contradict God's word. Their life, their views, their... You might say, Pastor, you can't say that, don't you know? You can't say that. Well, we're supposed to say it. So sorry that it, it causes you some consternation today. But man, you stand on the word of God. I'd rather fear God than man. Sometimes I fall into that trap of fearing man. But I'm going to tell you right now, we need to fear God rather than man. And the world's philosophy and those that propagate these views, and, those, and it's gotten, they've gotten so emboldened in the last few years because so many, so many people out there, the sheep of this world, who are not even saved, most of them, used to actually have some moral underpinning where they would say, no, that's not right. That view is wrong. Even though they weren't saved, because of God's common grace to all men, because of the conscience, there used to be people that said, we're not going to go along with that. But so many people of this world are afraid because they, they are not believers. They don't know the word of God. And so there, even though ah, it goes against my conscience, but you know what? I'd rather not stir up strife in the workplace. I'd rather not get in trouble. I don't want to get written up. I don't want, to, I don't want people to bash me on social media. I don't want my neighbors to despise and hate me. So we see all kinds of people that are, uh, you know, not, they're not necessarily in agreement, but they're just going to go along with it. And then we got people that are allies, and then we got people that are full on uh, militant about this wicked philosophy that is out there, that is opposed to the word of God. But we see that uh, when we have God's word and prayer and we have the Spirit of God in our life, and we are allowing the weapons to do their work, and God to do His work through us, we will have victory in our own life, and we will begin to see changes around us. As the church yields to the Spirit, we will begin to see a move of God through the congregations. That's what needs to happen. We many times are so focused on, oh, the world needs a change. The church needs to change first so that the world will do what's right. We see also bringing into captivity. We see their um, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The idea here is uh, obviously from a military, it comes from military conquest. We're bringing into captivity. We are bringing under control all of these thoughts, all of these thoughts, our thinking needs to be in control by God. The wisdom and discernment we need to see through these schemes is not found in our own abilities. It is found in the pages of God's word. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119 verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin 
against God? How do we get our backwards thinking, how do we get our upside down thinking straightened out? The word of God, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you can go there later, but the devil doesn't play fair. He doesn't have any kind of, uh, he doesn't follow any rules. There are no uh, uh, rules of warfare or engagement. He doesn't follow the rules, okay? He goes to the maximum of his ability, as much as God allows him to. He doesn't usually attack us, by the way, when we're at church or when we're reading the word of God, when we're spiritually and strong. Instead, he comes to us in moments of weakness. So when we leave this place, we need to be prayed up, ready to go, anticipating, looking around us, ready for what the devil might throw our way. It is critical when we're in a moment of weakness that we know the Bible well enough to respond the right way, that we are that we are asking God in that moment, God, deliver me from temptation. God, help me to have victory right now. And I'm telling you, God will give you the victory when you yield to his spirit. God doesn't, God doesn't play with us in that way. He doesn't, he doesn't give us something that we somehow cannot, without his, with his power, that we can't overcome. Everything is beyond our ability, but with God, all things are possible. So I'm telling you right now, when you ask God for help, he will give you help. He will give you help, but you have to yield to him. Remember, the battle is right in our, it's in our soul, our mind, our will and emotions. There's a war raging right in there. We, we have this bombardment of philosophy, false teaching, garbage that's out there through the television and the internet and the workplace, uh, the families around, people around us. You walk down the street, you go to the, 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 the grocery store, we're bombarded with wrong thinking or the potential for wrong thinking. That's where that war is going on. It's in our soul. But that's where the victory takes place as well. See, because our will, when enacted towards that which is spiritual, that which is right, rather than that which is fleshly and that which is selfish, that is where the victory takes place. We have victory first inside. See, that's where the root is. It's inside. The inner man. The behavior is the exhibition of whether we had victory inside or the, whether we succumbed to temptation. Amen. Without every head bowed and every eye closed, let's stand to our feet. Father, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Help us. We need, your, we need your help. Father, I pray that you would help us to do what Jesus did every time he was tempted. He went to the word of God. He quoted the Old Testament. Help us not to fight spiritual battles with human philosophy. Help us when it comes time for rearing our children and helping them to think the right way and helping them to behave the right way. Help us to implant in their heart, in their soul, the word of God so that they are equipped 
to fight spiritual battles. I pray that you bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not saved this morning, please come. We'll counsel with you. Take the word of God, show you how.